What would a building that's actually giving back more than it's taking, what would that look like? That question was the genesis that led to the Living Building Challenge. You're listening to Shaping Sustainable Places, a Skanska podcast. We're here to recognize, encourage, and inspire stakeholders in the industry and beyond to accelerate the transition to a more sustainable, resilient, zero-carbon built environment. In each episode, we'll be speaking with industry and civic leaders, policymakers, and other champions of change to explore innovative solutions to real challenges. The Candida Building is the most environmentally advanced educational and research facility in the U.S. Southeast. It boasts an innovative, sustainable design and was also the first building in Georgia and 28th in the world to earn the Living Building Challenge certification. It is net positive both in energy and water consumption, and its construction phase achieved a zero carbon footprint. It was designed and built to be a healthy, inclusive, and attractive workplace for the faculty and students. Today, host Charlie Cicchetti leads us on an in-depth exploration of one of the greenest buildings in the world. What did it take to create the Candida Building, and what do such projects mean for the construction industry? To start, Charlie sat down with Jimmy Mitchell, Senior Director of Business Development at Skenska, to discuss the inception of this project and how Skenska took on the Living Building Challenge. So how did this even come across your desk? Can you tell us that origin story? Yeah, so we're the contractor. The origin of this is really with the Candida Fund. That fund does not typically give to buildings. They usually give to community services. But in this case, they really wanted to promote the Limb Building Challenge in the Southeast. And Georgia Tech was the recipient of that grant because it's a technology-based institution in the Southeast that's a leader globally in engineering. Georgia Tech was chosen as that partner. We, as Skanska, heard of the opportunity and were really placed well in the community because of those sustainability values. We had done these things like been involved with the early urban gardens in Atlanta. And 10 or so years ago, we were a company that really helped Lifecycle Building Center, a a reuse nonprofit in Atlanta, get off the ground. And other elements in sustainability where we lead in things like back in the day, maybe it was LED lights, and today maybe it's solar panels. But that leadership in that space, I think, showed really well in pursuit of the Candida Building. So can you just tell us high level, what are the cliff notes on the Living Building Challenge? Sure. Seven petals is what they describe it as. So it's a building that gives back kind of like a flower would. So the petals of the flower, those seven petals are broken into 20 imperatives. And when compared to lead, you do a certain number of these credits in lead to get up to certain standards. In the full certification of living challenge, you have to do all 20. You do it all or you don't do it. You don't achieve it. The seven pedals or performance areas of the Living Building Challenge are as follows, in no particular order. Number one, place. Restoring a healthy interrelationship with nature. Number two, water. Creating developments that operate within the water balance of a given place and climate. Number three, energy. Relying on current solar income. Number four, health and happiness creating environments that optimize physical and psychological health and well-being. Number five, materials, endorsing products that are safe for all species through time. Number six, equity, supporting a just and equitable world 
And last but not least, number seven, beauty. Celebrating design that uplifts the human spirit. And why that's important is a couple of things. One is that it allows us to have that holistic approach for sustainability, where all of a sudden our value management ideas and what designer construction elements come into our projects, it's evaluated against the 20 imperatives and how they positively impact versus negatively impact these sustainability goals. Yes, dollars count, but there are ideas that you might be able to pay for, but they don't fit the bill when it comes to sustainability. And so they're not going to make it into the design or the construction of the building. And then finally, it's regenerative. For the building building challenges, a requirement for 105% energy generation compared to energy used. At the Candidi building, we've nailed that out of the park. We've been doing well over 200%. More than two times the electricity is generated compared to what's used. On the water standpoint, the building really acts as if there's woods there. We have a water treatment plant in the basement for our potable water to be collected from rainwater. And then, and importantly, for organizations like Lifecycle Building Center that are expanding the capacity of reuse. The Candida Building is an amazing example of net positive waste, which Sean Aurora at the Candida Building likes to call net negative because as we built the building, actually the amount of material we sent to the landfill in the process of building this building weighed less than the material we grabbed on the way to the landfill and repurposed new again in the Candida Building. So by the time the building was done being built, there was less material in the landfill. Jimmy mentioned our next guest, Sean Aurora, director of the Candida Building for Innovative Sustainable Design at Georgia Institute of Technology. He was involved in the operations of the building in terms of getting it through Living Building Challenge certification and maintaining Living Building operational goals post-certification. Sean is also charged with leveraging this amazing building to inspire change across the Southeast building industry. Sean shares more about the concept behind a truly sustainable building, the two major goals behind constructing Candida, and why it was essential to keep those goals in mind when making decisions. A sustainable building is a building that does less harm, consumes less energy, consumes less water, produces less waste. Is that sustainable? It's just less bad. And there's nothing wrong with it, but the idea of what would good look like what would a building that's actually giving back more than it's taking, what would that look like? That question was the genesis that led to the Living Building Challenge. So where a fully certified living building fits into the spectrum is that it's constantly pushing the envelope. Mm. And what we like to say is that when a project that was thinking about maybe just lead silver gets introduced to the Candida building, their fallback is probably hopefully going to be lead platinum mm. because once they see what can be done, what you thought you were going to do previously is no longer enough. Sure. Like you have to push the envelope and that's ultimately what we're trying to do. We're trying to have this one showcase building, which serves as a exemplar of what can be done. And the goal is to make everything that comes after it, just push the envelope as far as it can for that project. You may have noticed that both Jimmy and Sean have spoken on LEED, a green building rating system we've mentioned in previous episodes. It evaluates buildings in terms of the efficiency in which they use natural resources and their impact on the health of humans and the environment. There are different levels of LEED certification, 
ranging from certified to silver to gold to platinum. The Living Building Challenge includes many of the LEED standards and adds many more. So Sean, take us back. What were some key decisions though that needed to be made maybe on the design, during the construction phase, or as you took over to, to run this great building? I think there's two key decisions. Decision number one is that this will be a fully certified living building, non-negotiable. Gotcha. Decision number two, it will function and serve as a multidisciplinary classroom class lab. So we know what the building is going to be for its daily use and what the building is going to be for its larger mission. Non-negotiable, absolutely non-negotiable. Then you add a dollar amount, 100% donor funded by the Candida Fund, $25 million, not a penny more. Every decision that was made with the question, does it further both of those non-negotiable goals? And so when we think about value engineering in a project, what I say is the end result of value engineering is what you're telling the world you value. We had value engineering during the Candida building design construction process, but the decisions we were making is what is the best way to get to the mission, to the goal? To get to the mission, what are the best decisions to make? How do we value engineer the bad stuff out and keep the good stuff in? And the good stuff is going to get us to our goals of a multidisciplinary classroom class lab that is a fully certified living building. Keeping those non-negotiable goals in mind, creating a fully living building that can function as a multidisciplinary classroom, it was time to get started on actually constructing it. And that's where Skanska came in. Let's talk about some key decisions that maybe Skanska had to make. What were some of those critical decisions early that needed to be made? Can you hit on a couple? In the beginning, on the design side, there was such an opportunity to finally have this project in front of us. So we thoroughly analyzed every engineering element, design element, construction element, to the point where we really got it right. And so I would actually call that a challenge, the fact that we had to really think through things. And here we were the first time the Southeast was going to have this kind of regenerative project. And when we were looking at, say, the mechanical systems, we didn't just look at one or two different options. We looked at five and then whittled it down to three and then two. And that's a challenge to take that time and effort to adequately analyze that. On one hand, the Candida Fund, I think their original kind of quest to the market was a 42,000 square foot program. We ended up landing at 47,000 square feet of program, but about 10,000 of it was outside, including this rooftop garden. And if you go to the building, it is an amazing element of the project. It really is, makes the, one of the things that makes the project special. Well, to follow through this living building challenge thing, no good deed goes unpunished. Here we are, we've created this beautiful rooftop garden that's going to save us on the project. And what that means, of course, is we can realize the rest of our program. Those savings allow us to finish the job on budget. But that walkout rooftop garden actually removed five or 6,000 square foot of water collection area because it became an occupied roof. And we were collecting potable water. Uh, the source of it was on the unoccupied roof. So now from a water engineering standpoint, we have a, a water collection problem for the living building challenge. So what are we going to do about it? 
Well, then we took a depth look at the solar panels and the solar panels had a unique structure above the roof and offset to the west, in particular to, to address some of the concerns of the solar heat gain from the west. There was easily 6,000 square feet of solar panels overhanging the hardscape. And so we innovated and we worked with our subcontractor team at Hanna Solar and came up with a great solution where we in installed we had a five solar panel array at a tilt, of course, to point towards the south, towards the sun. And we installed one row of the array and caulked the gaps between, then installed the second row and caulked all the way until we were done with the full array. And then those solar panels became a water collection device. We added a gutter at the bottom, the drip edge of the solar panels, and we guttered it back to the unoccupied high roof. And there we had, we had an additional 6,000 square feet of collection as a result of this perfect walkout garden. So anyways, those are the types of chat. That's like one of the 2000 stories. Let's talk about materials, right? Some would say one of the hardest things for a living building is the, you can't use this material list, the hazardous materials, the red list. So can you speak to that? Did it change? Maybe you wanted to use a certain supplier, but you had to go find someone else. Can you speak to that? Yeah. You talk about Skanska's approach to the supply chain. The red list, the front and center on that, but let me back up and explain what the red list is first. So there are 20 or so categories of chemicals that are known carcinogens that we will use in the construction industry. And basically the ambition of the red list process is to get any harmful chemicals out of our construction projects and products. A great example of one is PVC. So PVC in the process of making it has dioxin and it's like worse than DDT. And so the reason, the top reason why I want to get PVC out of the project is because of the manufacturing of it. DDT, a synthetic insecticide developed in the 1940s, is classified as a cancerous toxin by many international authorities. So what makes the production of PVC, a type of plastic used for pipes, worse than an 80-year-old insecticide? The answer lies in the manufacturing and disposal of plastic materials like PVC. Those processes can produce dioxins, some of the most potent and persistent toxins known to humans, with no known safe limit for exposure and a strong propensity for building up in the body. This means the damage these dioxins do to the environment and people last. So the Candida building does not have PVC. It does not. Now, if there's a widget here or a little thing there that has a little bit of PVC, we did the research on that product to the point where the industry did not have an alternative solution. And so then we'd had to reach out to at least three or four suppliers to confirm that. And then we would essentially buy the one that had the least amount of that material and then write an advocacy letter to the three or four manufacturers describing to them the marketing opportunity they have to change to a different material that's better. So what advice would you have to another contractor that maybe has a living building project or a very advanced project? Any advice for them? I would say the right way to approach it is learning a lot on accomplishing these goals. And it's going to be hard for some of that to be billable hours <laughs> for the first one. For example, like I said, on the red list, I would say the red list is really the one thing that is a time add. Every product you have to research is time you have to research to get it right. And to some extent, you know, you end up making the investment and having folks who can get that right. If you can jump in and be a part of a team that commits to these goals, then go for it and learn as we improve the industry. 
Jimmy shares much from a design and construction perspective, but what about how the building actually functions on a day-to-day -day basis? For that, we go back to Sean, who runs the Candida building. He's all about doing things differently with a focus on sustainability, but he also touches on the importance of having someone with an operational perspective on the design team. He speaks about what he would do differently if given the chance. And he talks about how beneficial having the Candida building is for the campus and faculty and students as a whole. It's very important to have someone with an operational perspective in the design team. Sure. There are some things that were done here in this building that from an operational perspective, we might have done differently. And it would have been very helpful to have someone with that operations lens influencing the design. If it's designed properly, the operations of the building are going to be rather similar to the operations of a conventional building. People, like the occupants, they are part of the solution. They are part of the operations of the building. I think that our occupants are more comfortable in this building, mm. especially in the summertime when other buildings are freezing. Okay. We're not freezing. Yeah. We have... 78 degrees set point, so. which people would think is exceedingly hot in the summertime, but we are dehumidifying the air and we have these fans. Moving, so yeah. moving the air so people are comfortable. And then of course, everyone loves all the windows, the natural light and the sight lines out into nature. Faculty that who are in this building a lot especially the faculty that are teaching labs in the building. There's four teaching labs that are permanently moved to the building. Universally, they love it. They just love the vibe. They love the feeling. They love the views, again, the views to the outside. I have found that there's a group of students that are always studying in the building. Hmm. And so sometimes I'll go ask them, hey, I see you're here all the time. Oh, oh, we love the building. Well, what is it about the building that you love? Some folks will just say, you don't know. I just, I just <laughs> like this building. Others will say it's really quiet. Others will say love the natural light. Others will say it's the view to the eco-commons. I synthesize all of those things into the health and happiness pedal, mm -hmm. that this is a place that's making folks happier and healthier. And with regards to visitors, almost universally, I think there's one individual who has said to me that they were not inspired. Thousands and thousands of people have been inspired by what Georgia Tech and the entire design team has accomplished mm -hmm. here. And inspiration, if you don't do something with it, you can say is wasted. But what we're seeing is that people are doing something with it. This podcast is an example of people are doing something with it. Built infrastructure that does better. Ultimately, it's about our relationship with nature. Are we going to create spaces that are a part of nature? Or are we going to continue to make spaces that are apart from nature? And that's what this building did. It figured out where it is in nature, and it is a part of that ecosystem. It's functioning within that ecosystem. 
And it's doing every single thing that we need it to do from an operational perspective. There's been zero corners cut. There's been zero compromise insofar as what this building's core functions are. But it's functioning with nature. It's not battling nature. Sean makes such a good point about built infrastructure. It needs to work with nature, not against it. So to wrap up our exploration of Candida, Charlie decided to visit Georgia Tech campus to walk the grounds and see what those actually using the facilities had to say. Today I was able to talk to some students here at Georgia Tech, some that have classes at the Candida building, and some that don't. I'm doing like a media studies master's, okay. yeah. Environmental engineering. I study math. I don't know if this is one of the greenest buildings in the world, actually. I heard some stuff about the garden and also mm-hmm. the rooftop. I love the eco-commons area outside. I like the look of the wood yeah. a lot. The um, natural elements, yeah. Natural elements. It calms me. I also like the bathrooms. Yeah. I know that's a point that people talk about a lot. When an environmental engineering student makes a point to mention how nice the restrooms are, that's something worth noting. The Candida building is made with people in mind, a living building indeed. There's a sense of calm and ease from each student Charlie talks with. This is a space for them to get fresh air and natural light, to learn and appreciate what a climate-conscious built environment can truly provide. It's a good place to learn. They have some incredible exhibits all about the different petals within the Living Building Challenge. Some amazing art displayed, some descriptions on not just what this building has done related to equity, but in general, some inspirational projects from students and around campus. The Candida building is an excellent example of innovative and sustainable design in action. Not only did it earn the Living Building Challenge certification, it serves as inspiration for other built environments and continues to make a positive impact on both the planet and the students and faculty who use it. The building gives back to the environment instead of fighting it, which should be the goal of all built construction as the world moves towards sustainability. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we'd like to give a special thank you to our guests, Jimmy Mitchell, Sean Aurora, and the Georgia Tech students for sharing their insight and time with us. To learn more, you can find links on the Candida Building, the Living Building Challenge, and any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you're enjoying our show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And be back every episode as we continue to explore shaping sustainable places.